Praise God. Well, let's look at Matthew 28, 18. We have been in a series called Commissioned for some time. It's been a while since we've touched on this because uh, we were gone and then um, had a guest minister. And last time we were together, we had a different service, just uh, worshiping God and just the moving of the Spirit. And if you didn't ever, if you weren't with us, I go back and look at that. It was right, right at the beginning of August, but just um, awesome time. So it's been a little bit. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Verse 19 said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In uh, Mark 16, verse 15, it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believed will, believe will be condemned. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke 24, verse 46, it says, then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So the Lord Jesus in these three places is giving what we call the Great Commission, telling his disciples, and eventually us, as we're his disciples, to go share his word, share his gospel, share the good news with the world. And that's the commission that he's given the church. This is our task. This is our job. 2 Corinthians 5.17 in the NLT, it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Who has he given this task to? To us. Because he's given us the task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19 for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Do you know the world is reconciled to God right now? But they need to know it and they need to act on it. But the price has been paid. That's what it says. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. That is, that is a marvelous truth. Right now, the world has been reconciled to God. But they need to act on it. They need to do something about it. They need to say, I'm going to take that. How are they going to do that? The primary way is they're going to be told something. They're going to be told that this is true, and then they have a choice. Are they going to receive it? Are they going to act on it? Are they going to do something with it? 
You know, like the saying says, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, our job is to share the gospel. It's not our responsibility to make people act on it. You can't do that. But you can let them know. And that's what it's saying here. Verse 19, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So he gave it to us. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to him. Now, we've been talking about different facets of this, um, about, you know, our responsibility as sharing the gospel and just some different parts of, uh, of what that means and, you know, somewhat what it looks like. And I want to read you some statistics concerning this. So one survey by International Bible Society indicated that 83%, so you know, you can say in the 80-something percent, of all Christians make their first commitment to Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14, when they're children or their early youth. Surveys done by Barna, you know, Barna does a lot of Christian surveys, indicate that American children between 5 and 13 have a 32% probability of accepting Christ, and youth uh, or teens age 14 to 18 have a 14% probability. So, it, as, as the kids are getting older, the probability of them being saved is going down. Unbelieving adults age 19 and over have a 6% probability of becoming Christians. 6%. So the majority of people that are going to be saved are saved before the age of 14, but definitely before the age of 19. After that, it, it goes down quite a bit. So it, it is so important, you can see the importance of influencing children. I mean, the world knows this, and you, it works in any way. You know, people try to influence children in, for, for evil. But it works in influencing them for the gospel. And people have even dubbed the ages four, 4 to 14 because that is so large, people talk about the 4 to 14 window of reaching kids. So many times, I mean, you think about uh, a lot of effort is done to reach adults, and there's nothing wrong with that, and we're going to talk about that. We should. But there is a much smaller percentage of people that are actually going to respond as adults than there are children. Relatively few adults will receive Jesus compared to children. So a couple things 
that I want to touch on. Influencing our families at home and in the church is of utmost importance. Influencing our families at home, training our kids is so important. You can see it from this. If we're Christians, if, if the family has believed on God, then putting into those children so that they have a, a, a foundation, so that they know, they, they come to the Lord Jesus, but then they know they're solid in that, so that they don't just, you know, they get out of the home and then they're influenced by something else and it's easy for them to get picked off. We want to make them solid, both in the home and then in our church family, which is an extended family. It's got to be a priority that those that are growing up in our midst, we have a responsibility to make sure they, number one, come to know Jesus, number two, that they're solid in that because that's such a foundational time. So it's so important that we influence our families at home and in church. And then number two, when people receive the gospel, it does not just affect them, it affects their family tree. So, you know, if you think 6% of the people, and you know, there's probably different statistics. This is one set of statistics, one set of studies, and, you know, probably varies over time, and there may be other numbers out there. This is just one. But let's say it's around that single digits, well, that means there's a lot of people, when, when we're talking about just reaching people, there's a lot of people that are going to reject the gospel. But when somebody receives the gospel, it's not just that person. From that time on, you think of somebody that received the gospel, you know, 80 years ago. That person got saved, or maybe a couple got saved. Maybe the person got saved and affected their spouse. But as time goes on, if they're influencing their family, the number of people that actually got influenced grows. You see that? So in that time, it looked like, so if 6% or 7% of these people, out of this is 100, and you got this little slice, looks like, well, that didn't do much. But over time, it grows, and it becomes more and more, and it becomes a force. More and more people. As time goes on, as families are transformed, as kids grow up and then they have children and if they have godly spouses, it, it affects whole trees to where you look back and, well, our family's Christian. Well, maybe not always used to look like that. So when we are reaching somebody for God that's an adult, you're affecting their realm. Because most people come to God through somebody they know. Most people don't come on the TV evangelist. It doesn't happen. It does happen, not, not as much as people think. Most sharing of the gospel comes by one-on-one -on -one interactions and by people you know. Well, so then when somebody does choose Christ, it, it affects their realm. It affects their family. It affects their acquaintances. Those that do get saved, it affects their families and affects their future families. Let's look at Galatians 6, verse 9. 
It says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity, let's do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, in the NLT, do you have that in the NLT? I didn't mark it down. It says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So we, we definitely want to make sure those that are in the family of faith, that's in our immediate families, and those that are in our church family. You know, everybody's supposed to be part of a church family. Yeah, we are all part of the church universal, but we ought to be part of a local church that we call home. That we call, that's, that's, that's where I go to church. That's my family. That's my pastor. That's the way God set it up. And we ought to make sure that, hey, we're doing good to everybody, but we ought to make sure we're doing good to our family. You know, it doesn't, doesn't do, it might do some good, but it's not the right thing when we're, we're out trying to save the whole world, but then our family isn't being taken care of, ministered to, know the things of God. You know, you could spend all your time trying to make sure everybody else uh, has uh, access to the things of God or is ministered to, but our number one responsibility is at home and to our, our, fa our faith family. So we take care of that, then we, then we go further. But if we're trying to do all this out here, but we're not taking care of the home base, then there's something wrong. And when you look at it, who are we ministering to when we're ministering out there? What are we, what are we doing? We're trying to minister to those people and to their families. Well, that doesn't make any sense if we're saying, well, their family is important, but then my family and my church family, well, what, what's their family? It's just another family. See, it's not more glorious out there. Well, you know, all these people out there, we'll get them saved or we'll get them taken care of. Well, what about home? You know, that's number one. We know statistically we got a much better chance of influence in here. You know, you got, especially with your children at home, with the people you know, you already know them. You already have that relationship. With their church family, you already have the ability to minister. There's already there's already a very uh, fertile ground there that we can, we can minister to. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. So reading some scriptures along these lines. It says, These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is in Deuteronomy, and, you know, talking to the Israelites, this, this concept, though, applies to us all. Teaching, emphasizing the words of God, emphasizing what He has said, emphasizing the principles, godly principles. It's talking about that they'll be around. Let's look at verse 7. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. What does that mean? Constantly, over and over. Now, this applies, we're talking about this uh, in our families, 
We're talking about this in our church family consistently. You know, when you you, uh, deal with kids, and adults too, but kids, especially young kids, they need repetition. Just hear it again. You may think, yeah, we already went over this. It's just getting ground in. It's just getting embedded into their consciousness, you know? We, we know this when you're, at least it used to be, when we were growing up, you know, we would go over the, what we call times tables, multiplication tables, over and over and over. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You would have a sheet, and now they can just have an app and just go over, you know, and do it. But we would have a sheet printed out with all these, you know, three times five and six times nine, and you know what I'm talking about? Just, you had a columns and rows of all this, and you just go down and answer them, and then you have a different sheet that was different, had different numbers, but you just practice and practice, and flashcards, right? I had a deck of flashcards, and I have virtual flashcards, but flashcards, you just, you're going over and over to where, you know, if I say three times three, your mind's automatically thinking nine. It just, you don't have to calculate, you, you have that down. Well, that's the same thing with the things of God. You know, we, we just go over things. Keep them in front of our kids. Keep them in front of our family. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. What does that mean? You're posting them somewhere. You know, and this looks different for everybody. You have a different personality than the next person. You know, if you get an idea from somebody that seems good, use it. But don't think, oh, no, I need to be doing that too. Just use whatever comes to you in your family's flow, in your family's culture. And, you know, we're all different. And so what works for you? What works for your family? Just the point is put it in front of us. Put it in front of our kids. Make it so that they know this is a priority. This is what we're looking to. You're investing. Every day then we're investing in their foundation, in their their solidarity. Because there's going to come a day when they step out and they'll be hit with the things that are in the world. And it's the same stuff over and over. It may look different in 2021 than it did, you know, in 1980, but it's it's the same stuff. Behind it, it's the same stuff. It's the same questions. It's the same um, temptations and, and all that. And when we're armed, when kids are armed with uh, the truth of God's word, then they're able to deflect. They're able to say no. No, and they're able, number one, we want people to, kids to come to Christ to know for themselves and, and to trust the Lord Jesus. And then we want them to be solid so that they can withstand in the temptation, withstand in the onslaught that is in the world. Look at Ephesians 6 verse 1. It says, children, obey your, heart, your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And, and you fathers do not provide, or excuse me, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. 
It says, that, you know, this is a, a commandment of God. One of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. Do what they say. Well, for the godly person, you know, this is, a, this, this is God's way. Honor your father and mother because they know something you don't. In a godly context, that's true. And they're pointing you to God. They're pointing, listen to what they have to say. Honor them and it will go well with you. And then don't push them. As parents, don't push them unnecessarily to where they get frustrated. We're to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, bring them up in the ways of God, and that takes time, over time. It takes time uh, and diligence, but it's just really putting it before them over and over, over time, and investing in them. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3. See, kids are, are able to absorb, and young people, and adults too, but I mean, when you see children, they're able to absorb things and the things of God and get, them, get, get solid as they're growing up, little by little. Second Timothy 1 verse 3 says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. See, notice there's a training a uh, 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 passing down of faith, just like there is with so many things. And so as we have that opportunity, both in our families, both in our church family, we have the ability to put something in and pass that legacy to the next generation. And there is no greater legacy than that. And it's so easy to look, especially in this day and age, has been for a while, but it's been like this for all time. I think it's particularly easy now to look at something else and say something else is flashier and more important than what we're talking about here. You know, people talk about evangelism. They, they think, I mean, some, sometimes people think on this, you know, on a stage with could be thousands or millions of people in some cases looking on and somebody preaching with a, a microphone and big sound system and then people coming down in an altar call. Sometimes the first thing that doesn't come to somebody's mind is sitting in a room with a bunch of toddlers and telling them Jesus loves you. But there is more chance those kids will serve God than a lot of the people that are listening in the stadium. A lot of times. But sometimes we get these ideas that, you know, this is really serving God, something out there. And we look past uh, something that we could do every day. It looks like, hey, I'm going to go serve in this area with this organization and really do something for God. And sometimes our family, all we need to do is put something in place so they have a little bit of a Bible study. You know, five minutes. Reading a few scriptures, having them repeat scriptures can go miles. Man, my mom, uh, that's one thing I'm thankful for. We would, 
we would do some, uh, at night, we would, we would pray, and uh, we would have some, you know, we'd read a Bible story, and, and she would go over some scriptures, and we would say those scriptures every night to where, you know, you just get them into you. They're just part of you. You know, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Any tongue that rises against me in judgment, I shall show to be in the wrong. You know, by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Jesus took my infirmities, bore my sicknesses. Just putting in just a little bit of time, little, little bit, doesn't look like much. You know, somebody thinks, that, oh, I'd rather go preach a sermon to, to, you know, to a bunch of people. Well, not, that's good. But little by little, putting something in to a set of children that gets so ground in, you know, day after day, week after week, whether it's in church, whether it's at home, so valuable and will affect generations. That seed has the ability not just to affect that child, but to affect many, many people. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 just uh, alludes to this very thing. It says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from which you have learned them, and that from your childhood you have known the Holy Scripture. See, kids are able to know the Scripture. It says that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Kids can learn Scripture, can know Scripture. Now, you know, some people... See, there's different personalities. We all know that, right? You know, you, you, if you're married, you married a different personality in all likelihood. You know, if you grew up uh, with siblings, you probably had ki- different personalities in your family. We know that. We all acknowledge it, but sometimes it's a challenge when you're, you know, working with somebody or living with somebody or, you know, that's a different personality because all personalities have strengths and weaknesses. Now, some of you listening to me, when you hear some of these things, you know, if you're a really detailed type of personality, you can think, oh my gosh, that means I have to have this super big list of scriptures and I gotta do it by the minute every day and at the same time, and you start, it starts to become this weight of, uh, oh, I can't, and I'm not doing it, and oh, and that's not, that's, just be careful because the devil will try to take something that's good and say, it has to look like this to where you don't do anything. Some of people are like, hey, man, I did one scripture, you know, over three days, and I'm doing awesome. Because they're more, hey. And that's, that's another way of looking at things. You have to, what is it for your family? The point is, take steps. The point is, don't, don't despise don't, you know, look at it as lightly something. You know, sometimes, you know, you get to the end of the day, and if you're doing it at the end of the day, but, you know, whatever time, maybe first time, first thing in the morning works. Or, and we're not talking about just a little period of time, that's one thing, but we're talking about, like Deuteronomy said, throughout the day. We're talking about consistency. It would be better for you to do one thing a week for five years than to do five things in a day for five weeks and stop. It's, it's over time. It's, it's uh, just putting things before God. You know, there's times you get to the end of the day and everybody's tired and, you know, you just end up going to bed. You didn't do anything. 
Don't do this. Don't go, oh my gosh, we messed up. Now we've got to do yesterday's and today's. No, just reset in the morning and just go on. Sometimes, you know, you just like, oh, I fit in, you know. Hey, we're going to say this prayer and say these few scriptures, and you're going to spend a minute on it. I'm not saying that should be every time, but sometimes you just fit it in, and you check that box, and you go on. That's okay. Don't be legalistic. Don't be, make it a pressure. Don't, be, don't make it a, a, something that is really heavy. Just do. The point is to be available, and the point is to take steps and let the Holy Spirit guide you and to know that each day is valuable and not to despise the, the evangelistic opportunity that we have in our realm of influence. Whether it's our family directly, whether it's our church family, and we're talking about younger people, don't despise that. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train him up. Train him up. What does train mean? It means you're going to do something. The biggest thing with training is that you're setting an example. Sometimes people think it's this program, and that's fine, but the biggest thing is you just live before them because they're going to do what you do more than anything else, which... Again, don't take condemnation. Know that you're human, that I'm human, that we thank God that we have the spirit of the living God inside of us, but we're all growing. And so, you know, it's humbling to have kids because they live with you. And you're not perfect, and I'm not perfect, and we don't do everything perfect all the time. And, you know, you, gotta, you, you know what the Word says, and then you know you're not modeling it at a certain time. Well, now's the time for you to model humility. <laughs> And model forgiveness and model asking them for forgiveness and to be like, hey, you know, dad didn't do that perfect. Mom didn't do that perfect. But that doesn't change the word and this is what we do. And you go on as a family and don't let that get you off. Well, I'm not doing it perfect, so I I can't say anything to my kids until I'm perfect. Well, you're never going to say anything because you're not going to be perfect while you're walking on this earth. That's just a tactic of the devil. Uh, Teach them the gospel. Teach them forgiveness. Show them that, what the Word says. But it's training. The biggest thing is you're just going to you know, handle situations. You can preach at them all day, but it's, what, what are they going to look at? What do you do? You handled a certain situation a certain way. So they're going to see that's what's going to replay in their mind. The Word of God, and they're going to see an example. It's by precept and example. Well, it's a responsibility. It's true. But thank God for the grace of God. None of us could do it without His grace. Amen? If it was just, see, religion will put this heavy weight on you, say, you better do it right, or you know your kid's going to do this and that. Well, that will crush you. But you could say, well, nah, not, not doing it perfect, not having done it perfect, but thank God for His grace. And even if I didn't do it perfect, I'm praying for them, and it's, they're going to still be all right. You surround them with faith and love. Just keep surrounding the kids with faith and love, whether they're grandkids, whether they're grown, whether they're three, whether they're 13. Just surround them with faith and love. You're going to be okay. You're going to do things right. And I love you. And I'm not going anywhere. And God loves you. And that, that is an example. That is a, an opportunity. 
That's an opportunity. Every single one of us uh, has in some capacity in this area. I mean, whether you have children or not, you're part of a church family and we have kids. So when every interaction you have with one of the kids here, you are modeling or you have an opportunity to model what God, how would Jesus, what would Jesus say to him? And that's what we ought to um, be thinking about. Psalm 71 says, Oh God, you have taught me from my youth. We don't know exactly who wrote Psalm 71. may have been David, maybe somebody else. But the psalmist is saying, Oh God, you, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. See, from the youth. Coming up. Knowing God early on. Getting to know Him over time. Getting stronger over time. Jesus said this in Mark 10, verse 13. It says, Then they brought the little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. See, we see something here. See, Jesus is teaching, and somebody brought the children to him, and the disciples' first reaction was, No, no, he's busy. Busy with what? Busy with something more important than what? The kids. We just got to make sure we don't have that. Well, I'm going to go do real ministry. Are you kidding me? Even if, you know, ministering to adults, like we're going to get to in a minute, you, you're ministering to adults and hoping to affect them and their families. Ministering to the kids, you're, you're just ministering right to them. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, that's, you know, second tier. Yeah, we'll, we'll schedule that later. He said, no. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. It wasn't just a little bit displeased. He was like, wait a minute. No, I want to talk to them. You can see the heart of Jesus, which is the heart of the Father. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said, said to them, let the children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. I tell you what, a child gets a hold of the gospel at an early age and gets in their heart, it's going to be hard to shake it out of them like these scriptures we've read. You train them up, it's going to be hard to shake them out. Not that they're going to be perfect, but they're going to know. Verse 15, Assuredly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms and laid hands on him and he blessed them took them up, and he just prayed for them. You can see Jesus' heart. Just picking them up, just spending time with them. Let's look at a few examples um, in the Bible of some young kids that were uh, following God First, and some families. 1 Samuel 2, verse 18 It says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with, the hus- with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So this is even the, the prophet Samuel. When he was little, he was ministering. You could see, you know, it's like a little Jedi or something, you know, with the little robe. His mom made him a little robe and came, and, uh, came to bring it to him. And he ministered to, ministered as a child. Luke 2.39, this is Jesus. 
It says, So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, to Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus, as he's growing up, Jesus didn't know who he was exactly. I mean, he, he, he grew in that. He, he didn't know everything as a child. He, he grew. It says he, he, be, he grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. He came to knew, know over time who he was and what he was to do. But even as a child, you know, that uh, account where he was talking to the, the uh, teachers of the law and, and the, the religious leaders, and he was amazing them with his teaching because he already knew the things of God. Let's look at Acts 10, verse 1. Look at an account here. So we have opportunities <clears throat> to minister in our family. We have opportunities to minister in our church family and to put into these children the principles and the things of God. You know, whether they're you know, at home, of course, you see them all through the ages. Uh, in, our, uh, in the church, you see nursery. You know, right now our nursery and, and toddlers are combined. Uh, but you see nursery age and then you see toddlers. Even nursery, when they're there, you say, well, a baby can't get anything. Are you kidding me? Babies pick up on things in the womb. But just having somebody showing them the love of God, the presence of God, inf impacts them so much. And you got the toddler preschool age, you know, like two through five. Those kids just learning basic truths about God. If they can get this down, if they could get God is good, the devil is bad, if they could just come out of there with that, they are way ahead of most adults on the face of the earth. If they just knew, no, something happens and somebody tried to put on them, oh no, it was bad and oh God did that. They'd say, oh, no, no, that would, no, God's good. That's the devil. They would be way ahead because there's a whole lot of adults that, that, that um, will receive something like that and believe the devil or that God is doing something that in fact the devil did. Something bad happens in their family and, and adults will receive, well, that was somehow God's will and that's not true. God has will for good for us. You know, in the elementary kids, they're, they're starting to mature and grow up and just pouring into them the principles of God, the principles of godly behavior and, and worshiping Him. And just interacting and, and, uh, with them at a godly level. And then, you know, of course, youth. Man, we've all gone through the teenage years. If you're an adult, it's a transitional time. But just to have godly influence during that time, somebody that, that believes God in their life, just to speak words of comfort and words of hope and words of truth into a teenager's life can go so far, can just have amazing results. Well, let's look at Acts 10, verse 1. So then there is, you know, we touched on it earlier, but when we are reaching then, adults, if they are saved, if they are truly come to the Lord, there is going to be a ripple effect in that person's life into their realm. If they have a family, it's going to affect their family. And this is like we talked about 
earlier, where the numbers come in over time. It comes at that time, they start affecting the people around them, so you get this blip, but then it, it has repercussions. And over time, it has even more repercussions. Let's look at, uh, in Acts 10, verse 1, there's an example of this. It says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man who, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Notice, this person honored God but didn't know Jesus. Now, he was a Gentile, and this was just a time that the, the, the new Christ, early Christians didn't even realize that the gospel was for Gentiles at this point. They're just figuring that out. They're just coming to know that. But notice, God brought somebody across this man's path because he honored God, but he didn't know how to be saved yet. That, that happens all the time in the earth. And as an answer to questions so many times, people will say, well, how would such and such a person know about God? God is just, and they will hear the gospel. They, are they acting on what they do know about God? And when they do, they open the, the way for God to minister the more and get people across their path. It says, so he said to them, your prayers and your alms have come up uh, for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke to him and departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius sees a vision, and he, it's to send for Peter, so he sends people to Peter to ask him to come. So then Peter, to, to skip ahead, Peter sees a vision, and God tells him to go with this man Cornelius, so Peter does that, and he travels to where Cornelius is. So now Cornelius is uh, waiting for Peter, and that in Acts 20, uh, 10, 24, it says... The following day they entered into Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So Cornelius is the one being affected, but notice he now pulled in his relatives and close friends. He's waiting for Peter to tell him the good news, and not just him, those he influences. In... Uh, Verse 25, it says, As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I'm also a man. I myself am also a man. And he talked with him, and he went in and found many who had come together. So this guy's called everybody together. Now, whether it happens immediately like this or somebody finds out, they start telling people. If they found God and they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, they start telling people and affect their family. Verse 28, and then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to come and keep company with one, uh, go to one of another nation. So he says, uh, look, I'm not even supposed to be here, but God's shown me that it's okay. Verse 30, then Cornelius tells him, he, Peter asks, well, why, why did you even send for me? And Cornelius tells him the story about how he saw the vision. 
And so pick up in verse 31, this angel appeared to him and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon there, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately and have done well to, you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Notice this man's reverence for God. He doesn't know the gospel, but he has some knowledge of God. And he said, I've got everybody I know. We're here to hear what you say. Go. Tell us. In verse 44 then, Peter gives them the gospel, and then it says, While he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. So all the people there received. So you see the ripple effect. Cornelius, and then everybody around him. Because of one person, the family effect... uh, affected all these people. Let's look at one more. Acts 16, verse 25. One more uh, example. It says, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. So supernaturally, the doors open and everybody is loosed and the the jailer's like, man, this is is my neck. And so he's going to kill himself so he doesn't get tortured or anything, doesn't have a worse death. Verse 28, and Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word to the Lord, of the Lord to them and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same... And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, their their wounds. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So he, he was saved, but everybody in his family was saved too. And then that, that was how many years ago? Thousands. His family line now changed. They knew Jesus. We don't know what happened over time, but that affected how many people have descended from Cornelius and have descended from this jailer. We don't know. But that affected their their future forever. That affected their immediate family, and it affected the future of their family tree. Family, children are so important, such a important part of when we think about evangelism, sometimes we just skip right over this, but it's so important and it affects so much of what goes on in the kingdom of God and how future is determined in the kingdom of God. And every one of us has an opportunity to affect people in this way. And God is faithful to help us, to give us ideas and to give us ways and to uh, lead us 
so that we're able to influence people for good and point them to Jesus. Amen.